It's always a thrill and an honor to come back to Montana. I came out, um, I think I tried to figure it up, about 27 years ago with Brother Metzger. Um, uh, I think Sister Metzger stayed with my wife during that time when you guys, when we come out here and brought a little trailer, trying to find a place to rent and to pioneer a church. And uh, no pun intended, but there has been a lot of water under the bridge since then. So uh, it's, it's wonderful to come back and see the work that's being done, uh, to see your family all these years. What a beautiful family. And I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, emotional when I sit back there and uh, see their interaction and their, just their movements in the service and so forth. It means so much. Praise the Lord. My topic I mentioned this morning, I've been asked to talk about uh, experiences or what we will face as Christians after the rapture of the church. And as we mentioned this morning, there are a plethora of opinions. We all know that everyone has an opinion. And our opinion uh, is always more important than someone else's. And it's more accurate and it's more valid and has more authority. But in reality, our opinions, as we said this morning, must cease and then yield itself to what does the Bible say. Amen. The Bible has to be our, as we call back home, our final authority. It is the final word. God will have the final word. And uh, everyone uh, who preaches and teaches on prophecy does not know everything about it. There are a lot of things that we aren't real sure about. And I want to I want to be careful as I teach and preach on that to try my best to stay true to the Word of God. And if there's an opinion or if I'm inserting my thoughts, then I want to be sure that I, I point that out. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, verse number 10 is where we're focusing this evening. This morning I mentioned concerning judgment that's coming. And here the Apostle Paul writes, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Pausing right there for a moment. That's a very factual statement. That's not my opinion. That's not some YouTube preacher's opinion. That's not some TV preacher's opinion. That's not some country bumpkin preacher's opinion. That's the word of God. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The Lord will help me tonight. I simply want to talk to us, maybe preach a little, but mostly I want to focus our thoughts on this topic of the judgment seat of Christ. What we have every time we come to church is what one good brother, one good preacher said is a dress rehearsal for the real thing. We are looking forward to the time when we are in the very physical, visible presence of God around the throne, when we will worship and we will sing and we will glorify and magnify the name of Jesus. The song that was sung just a moment ago, the special uh, talking about the power of Christ. 
He can move the unmovable. He can break the unbreakable. And we, we sing songs like that now by faith because we don't see him. We know what we read about him. We know what we've heard about him. Maybe we can know what we have experienced personally in our lives. I've experienced personal healing in my life. I've, I've witnessed personal deliverance in the lives of people who have been bound by things beyond their control. And so I can have faith in what has been done because of what I've seen, because of what I have experienced. And anyone who is a child of God can understand, can have a testimony to the power of God to save a life from sin. What does it mean to be saved what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to become a child of God? I was lost, but Jesus found me. That's what it means. I was dead in trespasses and sins, but now because of Jesus, I have been made alive unto God. Amen. I'm glad to be born again. I'm glad to be alive in Christ. I'm glad to have uh, a new life. As the song says, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. How many of you tonight have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? We have, we have a hope. We talked about it this morning. It's a blessed hope. And so when we come to church, a lot of times, if we're not careful, because we're creatures of habit, we can get caught up in the moment. And we can, we can find ourselves singing simply from our head. And it's something that we've memorized since maybe we were young. It's, it's a song that we've learned. We've got the words down. We've got the melody down. We've got the syncopation of the, of the, of the way the melody goes. And we've got it all down. And we've learned the songs We've learned how to act in church. We've learned how to operate a church service. We open in prayer. We sing some songs. We take up an offering. We have a special. Kind of sounds like what we did tonight. We opened in prayer. We sang a few songs. There was an offering. <laughs> we had a special. Oh, and now it's time for the preacher. Guess what we're going to do next? We'll probably come to the altars and pray and take some time to apply what it is that we've heard. You see, we're so used to that, but if the preacher decides to mix it up a little bit, and we had a son, we sung happy birthday to somebody. But if the preacher decides to mix it up a little bit, it throws some people totally <laughs> out of whack. You mean you're going to preach first and then we're going to sing later? It's perfectly within the authority of the pastor to do it however he wants. You don't want to say amen, but it's the truth. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But the bottom line is, this is dress rehearsal. We have been born again. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And like it or not, there is going to be someone that we answer to one day, every sinner would like to believe that there is no judgment. Every politician, oh, I better not get on that too much, would like to believe that they're not going to answer for their votes. 
pro-life, pro-choice. You know, we can throw in all kinds of things. I, like I said, I better not wade out into that. But they like to live as though there is no judgment, that they are the supreme authority, that everyone answers to them, and there's no one but the person we see in the mirror that I'm accountable to. I answer only to myself. We're not going to be accountable for our actions, but in their hearts, in their hearts, most of them simply know that that's probably not the case. There's something within the heart of every man and woman that seems to indicate that there is a judgment to face after this life. You may have said it to yourself, well, time will tell. You know what that does? That's, that's simply an indication. That's simply an acknowledgement that there is a day coming in which a right judgment will be made for every person. Amen. That embezzler, that thief, that murderer, that arsonist, we may not catch them. We may not know who they are. Their sentence may have been lighter than what we feel like their sentence should be. But we're thinking in the back of our mind, their day is coming. They're going to answer for the way they act. I heard somebody say one time that our president needs to give a long, hard think thought about how he judges, how he operates as the commander in chief, what he thinks about life and what he thinks about eternity. Amen. Not only do sinners not like to think that there's a judgment day, but there are also a lot of Christians who live as though they'll never have to give an account for how they live, for um, how they treat people. As we mentioned this morning, and we read it in our text, we will all appear before Christ to be judged for the works that are done in this body. We looked at a couple of passages this morning that make this clear. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, but then after this, the judgment. That's a sober thought, isn't it? Romans chapter 14, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. When we read of the judgment seat, we read of each one receiving his or her reward. That lets us know that it's not going to be some collective judgment. But it lets us know that there's going to be a time when we are personally examined by God. The books will be opened. Our, our, our works, our lives, our motives, our thoughts, our words will all be examined by God. And we will ans answer to him <coughs> for the way, excuse me, <coughs> we have conducted ourselves. So everyone, everyone will be judged. And knowing of this, knowing this, of course, provides plenty of reasons why it is so important 
that we live a good and a holy life. Let us never feel like we are wasting our time because we have chosen a life of distinction and separation from a world that has turned against God. Amen. So we can ask, in many uh, topics, we can begin to ask questions and we can, we can learn or we can, we can begin to apply truth into our lives by asking some questions such as who, what, where, when, why, how. We can, we can learn so much from the scripture and a study of scripture, a casual study of the scripture by asking the question, who is being talked about in this chapter? What is going on in this chapter? Why did this happen? Um, how did God deal with this person? How did it turn out? Was it good for them? Was it bad for them. There's a lot of things. So we can, we can do the same thing with this topic of the judgment seat. And I've chosen to narrow it down to just three simple questions. Who, who will be judged? When will it take place? And why? What is the purpose of this judgment? These are three great, great questions we can ask regarding the judgment seat of Christ. In answering the question, who We've already determined that all will be judged. All will be judged. Actually, there are four great judgments in the Bible that I can find that will encompass every living, every living being. One is, of course, this topic that we're talking about tonight, the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment seat of Christ is a judgment of believers. This is not a judgment of sin. Why is this not a judgment of sin? Well, because sin has already been judged back at the cross. You see, Paul the Apostle writes to us in 1 Corinthians that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. What's that talking about? We can come and we can examine ourselves. We can judge ourselves in the time of communion when we're, when we're partaking of the, Lord's, of the Lord's Supper in His remembrance. We examine our hearts and if there is any sin, if there is any ought between us and a brother, we can deal with this now. It's already been paid for by Jesus on the cross. And so when we, when we come to the realization that we're in need of a Savior, we bow our knee before the Lord and we tell Him, Lord, I am I'm a sinner. I'm a dreadful sinner before you. I'm horribly messed up. I've made a wreck of my life and I'm begging you for forgiveness. We are putting our faith and our hope and our confidence in Jesus because we're acknowledging I'm not perfect. I can't help myself. There's nothing I can do to fix the mess that I'm in. And so I'm going to go back to your cross. I'm going to take all of my, all of my sins and I'm going to nail them right there on the cross. And the Bible teaches that those who do so will have their sins forever nailed to that cross. It's been judged at that moment when we've repented. We've made Jesus the Lord of our lives. Sin has been judged. Those who don't do that, they have another judgment waiting for them. But those who do take care of that judgment will still be judged at this judgment seat. It's not a judgment of sin. It's been taken care of at the cross. Amen. Not a single Christian will be missing from this judgment. 
It's a very sober judgment of all of the deeds that we've ever committed in this life. In his parables, Jesus spoke very often about varying rewards that will, that will come in the hereafter. Paul spoke about this, Romans chapter 14, verse 10. We mentioned it, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But beyond that, in our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And here's what he says, that everyone may receive the things done in this body According to that, he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's the judgment seat of Christ. More on that in a moment. Three other judgments. There's the judgment of the nations and the judgment of Israel. Then there are judgments of angels. We don't know really so much about this judgment. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. But while we don't know all the exact details, we do know, according to that passage, that believers will have some part in that judgment. We shall judge angels, the Bible says. And so we're going to have some part in that judgment. Then, of course, the one that everyone fears, that all sinners will stand before that great white throne judgment, the fourth judgment, will be the final judgment of the wicked. It is imperative to make the right choice to live for Christ in this life. That is in answer to the who. Who will be judged? All will be judged. All sinners will be judged one day, and it will be at the great white throne. And all Christians will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the who. In answering the question, when will the judgment seat take place? It's going to take place after the rapture of the church. It will be uh, before the millennial reign of Christ, that 1,000 years of peace that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. During the 1,000-year reign of Christ, the Bible teaches that saints will rule with him. And so uh, as I'm considering that and in studying this, it only seems logical to me that before we can rule with him, we must have been tried and judged. It seems logical that before we can ever hold a position in that kingdom, there must be a point in time where as Christians we've received our rewards and we've received our positions of appointment. I believe it's going to prepare us then further for the marriage supper of the Lamb that will soon take place after that. That's the when. In answering the why, we know that judgment always concludes all judgments. It concludes with rewards and penalties. Look with me in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter three. Uh, let's see, beginning of verse 13. First Corinthians chapter three and verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Rewards and penalties. Rewards and penalties. Some, we read here, are going to be saved as by fire. Our judgment will be determined by how we have lived out our Christian life. Amen. By the way, never buy into the lie that it doesn't matter how you live after you get saved. Some people say, well, I come and got saved. I knelt and prayed at an altar. I've received Jesus as my Savior, and now I'm in. I'm good to go. I'm saved. It doesn't matter what happens after this. Listen, it does ha matter ha what happens after that. We're going to be judged for how we live. Now, some of that judgment may be heaven or hell. Some of that judgment may be, well, you made it, but God's going to, God's seen down through, uh, through your life that there have been some motives. There have been some actions. There have been some disobediences along the way. There have been some things that has been more prioritized around your will and your way rather than God's will and God's way. That's not following the example of Christ. What was Christ's example to us? Christ's example to us is this. Lord, if it be possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. And then he says some very powerful words. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If we get it from an altar of prayer, and now we've switched masters, we're no longer walking as slaves to sin, servants to the master, the devil, and now we've committed ourselves as servants of righteousness unto God, but we think we get to call the shots. We get to decide what's right and wrong. We get to choose how we live and how we're not to live. We're, ask, we're asking for it. We're making a mistake because there are some things that are required of us after we get saved that we couldn't do anything to save ourselves. But now that we've been born again, there are some things that God expects of us and he expects of his children. He expect of his, expects of his servants obedience. Amen. Our text says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and that everyone may receive the things done in his body. And this next phrase, I made it all caps in my notes, according to that he hath done. We're going to be judged according to that we've done, according to how we've lived. Now, how many of you speak English here? I don't want to talk down to you. I want you to simply understand this. Some would say it doesn't matter, but that's plain English. I'm going to be judged based upon how I have done, and you will be as well, whether it be good or bad. We're going to be rewarded then for, uh, we're going to be rewarded then for what we are doing now. That's what I meant to say. We're going to be rewarded then for what we are doing now. Somebody said, and I copied it, I thought it was good. Right now, we are writing the sentence for our own judgment. As we live right now, we are writing, we are giving the Lord 
what a just judgment will be when we stand before him, by how we live, by how we obey. Amen. Uh, whatever is being done now is being sown in time, but reaping will come one day. It will come then in the judgment. I mentioned this morning that I live every day in light of the fact that one of these days I'm going to be judged. I don't have to live every day wondering, well, am I saved? Did I really accept Jesus? Am I born again? Am I really going to heaven? No, but I live every day saying, Lord, I want to live a life that pleases you. I want to live for you in such a way that honors you. I realize that I'm not the boss. You're the boss. You say jump. I simply ask, how high? Lord, one of these days I'm going to stand in judgment before you, and though my sins have been judged, my actions are going to be accountable to me. I'm going to be accountable to my actions. The judgment seat of Christ will be a sober examination of our lives. Now, I want us to get this tonight. It's so important because people in this world that we're living in today, they don't want to be told what to do. People come to church, they used to come to church, they wanted to hear the preacher tell them how to live. Now they come and they say, that preacher down there, he tries to tell us how to live. It's kind of quiet in here tonight. I usually get a little, I get a little nervous when people get quiet. Because that means I probably stepped on something that I need to spend a little time on. Let's just think about that for a moment. Amen. It's going to be a sober examination of our lives. We don't get to call the shots, shots as Christians. We don't get to just live any old way we want to. There's a Bible that's been written that tells us how we ought to live and how we can please the Lord and what in what way we are to obey him. Amen. Now let's think about what will take place. We're talking about the why, the purpose for this judgment. Amen. I mentioned this morning that we I live in light of that judgment. You see, this judgment seat is a sober reminder to me that I'm not just going to flippantly go through life and then all of a sudden, ta-da, I made it to heaven. And God now looked back and say, Michael Johnson, I saw how you talked to your neighbor. I saw how you dealt with that situation at the store. I saw the way you acted to your boss. I saw the way you treated your wife. Oh, listen, anybody listening to me here tonight? I saw how you raised your children and the way you treated them. I saw how selfish your motive was. It was all about you, wasn't it, Michael Johnson? Oh, what a sober thought. You know what that does? I know that I'm going to be in judgment one day. So it makes me think, I need to be careful how I treat my wife. I need to be careful what I say when I get behind this pulpit. I need to pay attention to what's going on when I've, I'm having transaction deals going on between me and someone else on Facebook Marketplace. I need to pay attention to what I'm told to do on the job and how I carry out my task. I need to pay attention to those things. Why? It's, not be it's because I now represent a higher authority. I'm not like everybody else. I'm a king's kid. I need to act like a king's kid. Amen, amen. A life of selfishness, a life of wrong motives will result in regret when we watch all of those things that we've done get burned up right before 
our eyes. You don't think that judgment's going to be a sober thing? Why is there fire involved? Why is there a possibility that I can lose so much of all that I've done if it's not a sober thing that we're talking about? On the other hand, a life of obedience and holiness will result in great reward. I need to pay attention to how I'm living and I'm challenging each of us to do the same thing. We must decide right now that we're going to live with that attitude that Jesus had there in the garden of Gethsemane when he faced the cross and he knew that he wasn't guilty of sin himself, but he was going to pay the price for the sin of all the world. I'm sensing what I'm saying right now is filtering in. No need for amens right now. Oh, but that the Holy Ghost would search our hearts and that we would begin to recognize, oh, I'm going to stand before God one of these days. And the pattern that Jesus set, the attitude that Jesus had right there in the garden was that not my will, but thine be done attitude. We need to concern ourselves more with the favor of God than with the favor or the approval of men. Judgment. While the judgment seat will be a fearful judgment, I don't want to leave us in that thought of it being only fearful. Because while it will be a fearful judgment, it's also our hope. I read from the scripture that who the Lord loves he chastens. And so as I stand before him in his, in his presence, and I know that my sin has been paid for back at the cross, I stand before him as a child that still has the last name of mom and dad, that still lives in the same home as mom and dad. I still have the privilege to move up around the table as mom and dad. I still have access to the refrigerator and the cabinet. Amen. But oh, I didn't do what daddy said. I didn't do what mom said. And so now I have to answer for it. So also, as mom and dad may chasten us, and correct us there in judgment. Jesus, who will be the judge, may chasten us, but we know that he does so because when he looks upon us, he sees some unique likeness. And the likeness, likeness that he now sees is not the likeness of our former life. Oh, praise God. It's not the likeness of our former father because something wonderful took place when I knelt at an altar of prayer and I poured my heart out to God. Amen. It used to be that I was stained by sin. It used to be that I had all the characteristics of wickedness. But when he washed me in the blood, amen, he covered me with his precious grace. Now he sees the likeness of the Son of God. And so though we've not been perfect, he may have to chasten us. And those things we did that were selfish or that were misaligned, it's not that my sin is there. He's just going to burn those things up, but I'm left to fall into the loving arms of Jesus, my Savior, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Amen. If there's anything not pure, or unholy, then he purges us of that. Now think about that. That's what we want. <laughs> Amen. That's what we want. What I couldn't take care of myself, he's always been faithful to take care of. And when I mess it up, 
He knows how to fix it. Praise God. And when he's done following judgment, all that's going to be left is us standing there in his likeness and in his spotless purity. All the unclean stuff has been burned up. So now I come to this topic. It's not part of my questions, who, when, why. But now we ask another question. So how are we to live? Knowing that we will face judgment. It's not a matter of some denominational statement. It's not a matter of what version of the Bible you tend to like. It boils right down to knowing that I and knowing that you are going to stand before God in judgment. Knowing that, how then should I live? Do I live a life for self? Do I decide, well, that's your opinion. This is my opinion. I think we'll just separate on opinions. I'll do it my way. You do it your way. But really, we still have this fact. We'll stand before God. And I'm not based, I'm not judged on my opinion. I'm not judged on Pastor Metzger's opinion. I'm judged on what says the word of God. Are you hearing me tonight? I've been pastoring now for a collective total of over 30 years. You don't stay a pastor probably that long if you've not learned how to deal with people right where they're at. To recognize that there'll, there'll be somebody that'll come in that back door that may not smell just like a Christian. Are you hearing me? They may not look just like your brand of Christian. They may not see it all. But oh, as a shepherd, as I stand before them, like Jesus, I think, as he looked out upon the masses, he saw all of those thousands of people. And before them, before he had come, there had been prophets that they had rejected. They stoned them. They sawed them asunder. They destroyed them. Now they've got these wicked priests and scribes and Pharisees that set extra rules. And Jesus looks upon the masses. He sees them as sheep scattered without a shepherd. So here they come. One by one they come in. There's a guy that came into our church one time. Well, you never knew what color his hair would be when he came in. But one of the most godly, grandmotherly types, I looked at her one time as she was back there dealing with him, looking up into his eyes with such love. As he came to the altar that day, he knelt and prayed. I didn't say one word about his hair. Not one word. His hair was spiked one time, I think. I don't know if he thought he was a Statue of Liberty or what, and it went this way, but it was spiked this way. And then he had 
spikes and piercings and all kinds of things. Not one word said about it. We loved him just as he was. And that's the way Jesus does. He loves us just as he, as we are. Amen. There's nothing we can do to clean ourselves up good enough for heaven. We must cast ourselves at the mercy of Christ. And so I look upon people, I see needs, and oh, my duty, my job, my task, amen, that God has given me as a pastor, it's simply preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. My message to us tonight is judgment's coming, judgment's coming. We've taken care of sin at the cross, but we're still going to stand before him. And I'd sure love to have something left over when he's done. And so it matters how I live. How are we to live? You see, God is more interested in us, in our obedience, than in us simply going through the motions. Because I said a little while ago, we're creatures of habit. We know how to sing the words from memory. But God doesn't want us singing words from memories. A parakeet can do that. He doesn't want obedience without the heart in it, just the head. Amen. Jesus, when he was teaching, he said that the children of Israel basically wasted their time in keeping the commandments because, in Matthew chapter 15, because it had become nothing more than a ritual to them. They were no different than trained monkeys at the zoo. <laughs> a dolphin, a whatever. They simply were trained. They were going through the motions. God says through the prophet Isaiah, this people draw near to me with their mouth and their lips do honor me. Now listen to this. But they have removed their heart from me. Notice the remainder of that verse. It's Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, if you're interested. Now listen to this, very important. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. In other words, it was simply a trained habit. They do it simply because they've been told to do it. They do it because it's what ex it's expected of them. Amen. But there is no heart in it. How many people come to church simply because they are supposed to come to church? We stand because everyone else is standing. We raise our hands and praise God because we know that that's what we've been asked to do. We come to the altar to pray because that's what we always do. That's our custom. There's a danger of this. Amen. All routine and no heart. All show and no heart. All habit and no heart. Listen, God wants your heart. God wants your heart. In referring to the passage of Isaiah in the New Testament, Jesus called this hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Now, I'm going to step out and pick on some folks. Not you, I hope. But think about this. Can I be a little blunt? Any good Catholic can rub some beads and recite a rosary and simply go through the motions. Any good Muslim can bow and put their head, their forehead all the way to the ground 10 times in a day 
Any good Mormon can ride all over town until the bike totally wears out and the pedals fall off of it. Now let's make it more personal. We can memorize the Lord's Prayer and we can pray it hundreds of times in a day. And none of this, none of this gets a person any closer to God any more than you and I raising our hands or clapping them and singing songs simply from memory. It's all a form. It's all a routine. I've been raised in church all my life, but there had to come a point in time when my attendance at church was more than just doing what dad and mom expected. It was more than just going through the motions. I knew all the hymns. I can sing these songs we've been singing this, this morning and tonight. I can sing probably every one of them from memory. It's all been placed right up here. But what I choose to do when I come to the house of God is to set my memory aside and fix my attention upon the Lord and think about the words that I'm singing and allow them to pass through the filter of my heart and let it be Become worship to the one who paid such a high price that I might have eternal life. Going through the motions is all of what Jesus called vain repetition. And like the heathen, many Christians fall into the habit of thinking we're going to be recognized for all of the extra words. Are you hearing me tonight? We're going to be recognized because of the extra sacrifice we made. Wow, I went to church Sunday morning and I come back Sunday night. Aren't you proud of me? Oh, may the Lord help us to think on these things. Ezekiel wrote, Ezekiel 33 and 31, with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after covetousness. God, now I want you to get this. God is not interested in an external worship without true internal devotion. God is not so much interested in our external worship with no internal devotion. He in other words, he desires more than us just jumping through the hoop, so to speak, just so that we can earn the treat like a good puppy, a good dolphin, a good lion in the cage. Notice that those behaviors of those animals are all for show. And when we do those things, it's nothing more than show and judgment's gonna bear it out one of these days. The Lord's looking, the Lord is looking for those who will serve him, not just for the prize, but because they love him. Both the head and the heart is engaged. And so I'm closing with this. We do these things because judgment is coming. That's the challenge I want to leave with us tonight. There's a rapture taking place and we're excited about it. We're looking forward to going to be with Jesus. But what happens to the Christian after the rapture? We've all been changed by this time. Born again, now we've got our glorified body, but now we're going to stand in judgment before God. The Bible talks about him wiping away all tears. Do you believe that there are going to be tears at that point? I believe there are, going to be, there are definitely going to be tears in that judgment. Tears because 
I could have done more. Tears because I should have done it in a different way. Tears because I should have did it to please God rather than to please myself, but because all of my works have been burned up and I left standing alone. I'm going to now enter into that glorious time of the millennium, not having near what everybody thought I had because my motives weren't right. We're going to have a chance to come around the altars in a moment. If somebody come to the piano and help by getting us a song or something. We do these things because judgment is coming. And I'm hoping that we'll take some time to examine our hearts tonight. You see, judgment is absolutely guaranteed. Judgment is absolutely guaranteed. Judgment is an inescapable fact of life. The question we need to answer tonight is how will we answer to God for our lives? Were we really faithful according to God's expectations or we just were we good at just going through the motions, paying attention to what everybody else thought about us? Were we really loyal according to God's standard? Will our excuses stand in the presence of him who knows all things, even our motives and our intents? Surely the Lord the judge of all the earth will judge rightly because he knows the heart. He sees what's on the inside but everybody else can judge only what's on the outside. Let's stand together. In light of this coming judgment, how ought we to live? In light of coming judgment, how ought we to live. The answer is found in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse number 8. Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. We'll close with this. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Judgment is a sure thing for every one of us. I asked a while ago, and I'm not going to do it again, for a show of hands, how many of us are born again? If we're born again, we don't escape judgment. We're going to stand before God. And so we've got an opportunity before we get there. You don't have to do it in this altar, but you've got to do it sometime. Lord, how can I live in such a way? Judgment's going to be good that I can come through there. It's, it's going to be a sober thing. To me, I live with that thought, Lord, I want to make sure my motives are right. I want to love the way I'm supposed to love, live the way I'm supposed to live. I'm not trying to earn salvation. I'm trying to hang on to my reward because I want to love God from the heart, not just out of routine. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, we love you. I thank you, Lord, for this privilege and opportunity. And Lord, I've tried my best to just Make us aware of the fact that there is judgment coming, the judgment seat of Christ when we'll answer to you for how we live. The words we use will be given account for all the words, every idle word that was spoken, our dealings with our neighbor, our dealings with our family, our spouse, our children, our parents. Lord, you've given us opportunity to take care of it and to be sure that we're serving you out of a heart of love. Lord, speak now beyond the limited words of this preacher. 
I pray by the person of the Holy Ghost that you would penetrate even to the very depths of each and every man or woman, young person, that's in this place tonight. Lord, I pray from our heart that you would help us to live in such a way that always honors you. As Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. Help us, Lord, to emulate that exact same lifestyle. Help us to do our best to reflect Christ in a fallen world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Let me ask one last question. Do you love the Lord? Amen. Amen. I love him with all my heart. Can we find us a place to pray tonight? I know there's something to eat downstairs.